everybody, and welcome to the MinMax Show podcast, place about games, friends, getting better. Thank you for being here. I'm Ben Hansen, and I'm joined today by Jeff Marquiafava. Hello, sir. And I'm joined today by Kyle Hilliard. What's up? And I'm joined today by Janet Garcia. Welcome, Janet. Yo, what's up? Hey, thanks for being here, everybody. Uh, We got a heck of a show. We are talking about Horizon the Forbidden West. They said, nay, don't say a word about it. And we said, but we must. I think you draw, you, there's no the, right? Yeah, I know. It's just Horizon, Horizon Forbidden, Forbidden West. West. There's not even a colon. Right. Just Horizon Forbidden West. Um, we'll talk about some other smaller games that maybe Kyle's been playing and will nod along in a polite manner. Then back half of the Thank show, you. of course, we have a bunch of community questions that people submitted over on Patreon. Sarah Pazorci is going to be jumping in. We're going to answer all these. Jeff, I would argue in the most fun way possible. Oh, I thought we were going to do boring. But oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, this is good. boring community question round. Once. All right, let's do it. Um, hey, Horizon Forbidden West. We've all been playing this sucker. Uh, PlayStation sent us codes ahead of time. Uh, we've been playing on PlayStation 5. Let's see. Janet, I know that you are a machine. Um, I don't know. What's the coolest machine in Horizon Forbidden West that isn't a spoiler? The Thunderjaw? Yeah, you're like the Thunderjaw, yeah. plowing through games. You finish this game. Uh, stunning, stunning work. Uh, Kyle, you're like Thank a you. big old grazing machine, one of those beautiful cows that also gets the job done, because you also finished this game? I did indeed, yeah. I As, did it by skipping a lot of side quests, but I beat it. That's amazing. Uh, Jeff, where are you at, man? Uh, I'm 16 hours in. Solid, solid. Um, I'm curious for your take, Jeff. I'm, not that this makes you a superhero, but a little bit. Like, you reviewed uh, Horizon Zero Dawn back at Game Informer back in 2017, so I'm curious to hear your takes on this whole freaking thing. Um, but uh, for me, I'm definitely uh, the worst contender here. I, I've been too focused on Pokemon Legends Arceus. I'm maybe like four hours in to Horizon Forbidden West, so everything I'm saying, a little bit of a grain of salt there. Kyle, tell me yes. what you think of it, man. You finished the game. Give me your hot take after finishing this hot PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4 exclusive. It's a good game. I like it. It plays well. It looks really good. There are some genuine surprises. But the thing that I was worried about going into it uh, did happen in that there is a lot of sort of tribal politics happening. And I feel the way Aloy does about it in the game where she gets visibly frustrated with all the hurdles she has to jump over to, to save the world. And I feel that as a player very fiercely. Uh, Jane and I talked about this a little bit, but you know, usually in games, I'm eager to see every dialogue option. Right. I want to see everything. Everyone. I don't want to like leave a conversation without her hearing everything. This is the game that broke me on that. I very quickly just would go straight to the option that would let me leave a conversation. Give me the side quest and I'll leave you alone. I really don't want to hear about what's going on. I have much bigger problems, which is like an interesting sort of idea for Aloy to have to deal with, right? It's right. like, there's a bigger problem, and you guys are, like, arguing amongst yourselves, but it's like, I felt that as a player through the whole course of the game where I was like, let's just, we we got we don't have to worry about those people. Let them do their own thing. If they're not letting you go through the door, just kick down the door because, like, whatever you're doing is more important than what they're talking about. But she's about. too good to do that. Like, I don't know. you know, because that's her character, right? So she, like, has to be, like, What's the least violent, violent way I can do this? Like, I'm still going to kill a bunch of people. Like, I will kill everybody. And I'm not going to ask any questions. And I'll be like, oh, did you did you like those people? Are they part of your uh, group? You know, because I look, I did I did everything I could. I was like, don't shoot. They started shooting. Now they're all dead. You know, what are you going to do? But as far as like big overview stuff of the game, I mean, I think 
you know, Kyle is right in the sense that, yes, it is back to the tribal politics. And I do really wish they had, you know, we just mentioned Mass Effect and I, I actually haven't not played much of Mass Effect, but like the codex, I think, right, yeah. for Mass Effect, where it has all the information. They do have um like a character, like every character you meet, like every big character has a little like profile you can reread and refresh yourself on. But the, you know, thoughts of like the Asram versus like the other like two main ones. And then there's always like similar to Horizon 1, there's like, well, there's a Karja, but then there's a Shadow Karja and like, one was always evil and then they became not evil and then the other group was like, y'all were better when you were evil and it's kind of a lot to parse out. Um, I will say I feel like that didn't matter as much in this one. Like, I didn't feel the need to be as well-versed because it wasn't the one of the main things going on, which I get, like, Kyle, to your point, it's almost like, well, then why are, why are we even doing it? Which I think yeah. is a, a fair assessment. But I, I feel like it worked because everyone was at least more focused on the one core storyline. It is true that some tribes didn't really care about your plight to save the world, but you were able to actually talk to people about what was going on big picture and you like brought more people into, you know, without getting to spoilers, your inner circle and your fold where even though it is still a single player game and there aren't a lot, a whole lot of even quests that involve like companion characters there's a more of an idea of hey as you meet people and navigate through the world you can and will share about who you are people know who you are you know you're the person that saved meridian and it feels like even though maybe not everyone cares the way that you care there's a little bit of more we're on the same page in the world which i think creates like a more cohesive world for aloy to exist in because it's not this a storyline b storyline kind of happening yeah i'm curious strongly yeah yeah Go ahead, Jeff. I'm sorry. Look, you're ready to pop. Yeah, uh, I was going to say that I'm on the so far on the opposite end uh, end of the spectrum of Kyle in that I I like all the tribal politics stuff. Really, like, I like I like hearing about the different groups. I liked it in the first game. I like all of the. You also have the layer of all of the like modern his like our our era in it that like completely ruined everything and they right. they covered a ton of that in the first game and i thought like well what the heck would they do for a second totally game? they kind of bring in this entire like tesla type of organization that has been going back and forth with elizabeth and i which is I like helmed by matthew broderick weirdly <laughs> is it no not literally but like the carrot the actor is like going His- all in on uh Matthew Broder or not Matthew I'm sorry Matthew McConaughey oh what was okay I talking about? yeah, yeah I was gonna okay. like, Matthew like he is just like one line away from saying all right all right all right sometimes I swear he's a bit yeah. much well, he, he he was in the first one too yeah he was, okay I, I, I forgot about he's, him he's he's like the he's like Elizabeth's programmer or something like that yeah that yeah that very much stood out to me in, in the first game as I'm, well. I'm kind of with you Jeff and where it's like I don't know what they could do for the backstory stuff because that was the most compelling part of the story in that first game and without even revealing it and I'm curious to see where it goes in this game, but in the first couple hours, the teases they give you of like what they were doing in the past, it's like that is such a good hook. I am so on board. I want to understand what was going on. It is like yes. the the juiciest tease you can give for backstory and where this franchise could go in the future. It's awesome. Yeah, and and normally like all that kind of lore dump stuff, you know, just goes completely beyond me like i don't read stuff when i play skyrim i yeah i have gotten to the point in so many open world games where it's like yeah i will i will click on that thing to add it to my codex or whatever it is but i'm not playing it anymore and this is this is the one series where it's like i listen to every 
thing. I there there have been scrolls in some of the tribes where it's like I'm complaining about the blacksmith or whatever. I don't mm. read those ones, but I do. I've done all of the side quests so far with wow. all the different tribes nice. and stuff, and like I just I just enjoy I enjoy that aspect of it. It feels a little like in a, in a much smaller way, kind of the games of Game of Thrones kind of like politicking. I like I like politicking in stories and this one it's it's like a weird brand of politicking and a lot of the characters i would say in in gorillas games are are kind of they're weird characters like they don't grab me as much a lot of characters in this one that were from the first one it's like i have absolutely no memory of you whatsoever you i remember errand because he had like the big mutton chops right right, right. That, that was like the one guy i remembered but there were a lot of people like oh wow you like I made a much bigger impression on you than you did <laughs> on me, apparently. But I, I like learning about them anew in this yeah. one, I guess. Yeah, Janet, we talked about this in Party Chatter, Patreon-exclusive podcast, but like, I think the first question the community had um, to ask you was like, uh, is there a recap? Do I need to worry about a recap? And they do have a nice job. They do a nice job in the beginning of giving you a, a really solid recap of everything that happened in that first game. Still, I found myself in the first couple hours, like they kind of throw in the deep end again about like, okay, so this is all new stuff. The overall mission here, it was still, it took a while to kind of get my bearings, even with a very thorough recap. But I think it's just, you're supposed to be a little bit lost. You're kind of in media res. It's kind of that idea of Aloy's on a new adventure and she lost all her equipment. She got Metroided. I don't, who knows how it happened. And now she's on this new quest. And so I think it's natural to be a little bit confused out of the gate and overwhelmed by the amount of kind of dorky lore backstory stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think if you really like with almost any game, if you really want more, um, you know, hit up YouTube, like story explained, yeah. people steer like just because I do think that you I mean, nothing can replicate having actually played the game, the first game completely in terms of, I think, emotional impacting, knowing the significance, because I can tell you like plot wise, oh, this is like X character and you know them from when like their family member died and it was like a big deal. But like right, right. me telling you that it doesn't hit the same. Not that I was like in tears, you know, over Horizon 1. That being said, I did cry while playing this game. Really? No, I did not. Yes. I didn't fully let the tears release again because I okay. joke about being like problematically masculine with crying. But that's actually not why. My boyfriend's a big fan of a lot of PlayStation games. Horizon, of course, being one of them. So it's always really hard when you're like playing an embargoed game around someone who really doesn't want to know anything. Oh, sure. So I had to work really hard. Like this whole, oh my God, actually, is he in here? No, he's, he knows better. Okay. I'm like, I can't even tell him. I don't even want him to know what I think of this game. I mean, I think he can assume that I like it because I love the first one. Yeah. But I'm like, what do I think? Who knows? Am I, am I going to plan him? I'm not going to say. Who's to say? Like, so I didn't want to seem like impacted because I'm like, it's like when, you know, in the, when the big thing happened in The Last of Us 2, like I, we, our desks were side by side and I was like, I gotta, I gotta go get some water. You know, it's just like, really? I can't let you know that something crazy happened. But yeah, this, this game takes it there. I think the huh. biggest um, thing that I can say that I love about it that like really makes it stand out. And for me, this is more in that like amazing tier, like nine out of 10, you know, the kind of funny, we gave it like a five out of five for amazing as well. Um, for me, I think it just... The story's better and the gameplay's better. And the story and the gameplay were already strong in the first one. Again, I don't think it hits like that masterpiece level exactly. But there are so many... The main quests are so... And the side quests are good too. But the main quests are so strong in that they are... Like, I am genuinely really interested in each main quest. Because almost mm. ever, all of them... And admittedly, when you start out, it is a little bit more... You know, we're getting... We're easing into the tub. But once you get into that story... 
I'm genuinely really interested in what happens. I never exactly know what's going to happen, even mechanically, like even when I'm doing something that I recognize like, oh, this cauldron's involved, but like it's different. Like, you know, there's kind of something else going on The like I sort of know what's going to happen here, but I don't because we're in a kind of a different context with different goals. And I think they do such a good job in the main quest, especially like in that mid to like the sort of I feel like there's like several climaxes within this this story, but like they have these setups where you'll do like an interesting kind of puzzle moment with a little bit of combat you're exploring then there's a great combat sequence where your heart's just completely racing you're like super challenged and then after that they're like boom then we punch you emotionally and i'm like holy cow this was like a insane like set this 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 was like a lot of in 90 minutes like i gotta i gotta take a step back and sort of process it all because you did so many things so well and i think they helped speak to each other because it's like you really got immersed in the the struggle and the fight and then you like care about what you're doing and maybe you care about the people that you're with and then you're like it's just it it, it was real good there's a i'm i was surprised playing the first four hours or so then seeing the review embargo lift and how positive everybody was on it in general like just for a frame of reference like i enjoyed horizon zero dawn it was i went back and checked it was like my number seven game of 2017 like i had a, I had a solid time with that game but in the opening hours of this game it was like, okay, this feels very samey. I feel like a lot of the design sensibilities kind of feel still like a PlayStation 4 game. We're doing Uncharted 4 level of climbing up things while they fall apart, and there's a bunch of bright yellow things for you to climb on here. Um, and so I was a little bit underwhelmed in the opening. Then, after the opening sequence unfurled itself and you actually get to the Forbidden West in that actual open world, which takes a little while to get to, then it was like, oh, okay, this is what I like about the game. It's starting to warm up. But am I nuts? Were you all kind of a little bit cooler on that opening? Should I keep plowing ahead or is that Uh, tempo going to stay about the same? I'm I'm like 100% with you. Okay, good. It it really, it clicked. Once this sort of, which maybe you've said you've, you've seen, but once the like, the main story yes because there's like there's a weird split in horizon where it's kind of like it's not fantasy right it is science fiction but a lot of the tribal politics stuff feels more fantasy right like jeff was saying it's totally. almost feels like more game of thrones but then there's another side that's like the, the 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 true science fiction side of things which is like this is also how i felt about horizon one is like that stuff is infinitely more interesting yes. that's the stuff i want to go after and um when that stuff comes to the surface and you understand the science fiction side of the story that's when i started really enjoying it and also it takes getting to the forbidden west to get um the paraglider which i really do think i mean i know we joke a lot about how much i love paragliders in games but like i really think it makes a big difference it's huge uh just with traversal because like just being able to climb really high and then not have to climb down makes it so much more fun you you spend a lot of time climbing up stuff in this game and so not having to look for a way down and 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 and, or like the one repel spot where she's gonna like jump off and do her little lasso rodeo thing on the way down being able to actually be like okay i'm going that direction next and i'm going to just glide like a third of the way there Um, yeah it helps yeah Yeah. and then also the the sort of grapple shot that you just feels really good because you just tap x twice and then you can, when you're sort of zipping to the point, you can press circle and it launches her. Mm. Like that's a very, there's a weird reference to make, but it's a very Prince of Persia action. Like by the time they got into third Prince of Persia, you were doing stuff like that, where you're like uh, activating sort of actions that launch you in different directions without too much like timing. It's really just about like tapping circle before you get there. Like those kind of actions feel 
really cool. Really? And then there's, I won't spoil it, but there's like a thing that you unlock, which was like, it's a mechanical, like it's a, it's a, it's a game mechanic thing that you unlock that you can integrate that hook shot with. That's like, this is awesome. Like really? this, that was like weirdly the most exciting part of the game for me was unlocking this one cool mechanic that comes pretty late. That, that's um, so that that kind of stuff really intrigued me. And but like, yeah, Janet, I, I I can't say that I got as emotionally invested. It was really more of just like this is interesting sci-fi, and I mm. like learning about it. Where I didn't get, I didn't hook into the, the people side of it too much. Yeah, it's good to hear about. Um, you know that the mechanics feel good later on because it definitely is like yeah. the pull caster. It's like well. Fresh off of Halo Infinite, having like this grappling hook, it felt a little stiff in that opening area, but they build on. Yeah, it. we we I think we talked about that um, when we were talking about Tokyo Ghostware. Of of it it falls <laughs> into that Tokyo, other yeah. category of of grapple hooks that I don't like, which is you only have very specific right. places that you can use it. Yeah, right, so right. I'm looking forward to upgrading that thing. Well, it, it, it's always going to be that. Like, okay. I don't yeah. want you to get yeah. too ahead of yourself. Mm-hmm. Which, But I just like it even for that reason, because it's not quite Arkham level like grapple points, but the, there's a lot of grapple points often. Yeah. And for the overall big game thing here, it's like, okay, it's a, it's a modern Assassin's Creed. It's a big old action RPG. It's a, it's Sony's Valhalla at this point, right? Um, but it, like, It is like, yeah, one of those traditional, like, massive world and a million little icons on your map, which, which I have been burnt out on for a long time. Right. Right. But I, again, it works here for me just because I like doing so much of those things. I, I have gotten to the point where I will finally not pick up sticks when I see them in the open world, wow. because I, I Careful. can, because I have like 700 sticks in my inventory apparently. And it's like, well, I can craft like, 3,500 arrows with that and I don't need 3,500 arrows so I can stop. But but even just like the amount of treasure chests that are everywhere. Yes. Like there, there is stuff littered everywhere and for some reason it just doesn't, it doesn't bother me as much in this game and I think ultimately it's be, what I it took, it took a while for me as well in this one once I finally got out of uh, the area that you start in. Like I, I forgot how much I absolutely love the combat in this game and fighting, you know, all of the different robots and how engaging that is. And, and I, I have, it's been a while since I played horizon zero Dawn. I feel like it's more exciting this time around, even though it was very exciting in the last game, but it's just like, you have to just constantly be on the move when you are fighting those things. Because if you, if you stop for a second, like you're going to get hit by some giant robot tail and it's going to knock you on the ground. Like, they don't hold back in the combat, which I really appreciate. Yeah, it's kind of an evolution of the last one. I haven't had too many gigantic fights. There's kind of like a set-piece thing, but I'm looking forward to, like, I want that moment of, you know, the big Thunderjaw takedown moment from the first game or something like that. But it has plenty of those, Janet? Yeah, I mean, I think there's... I love the diversity of the machines, like the machine animals in this one, um, which I feel like they could have easily just been, like... Let's just use the one. They already had a lot. Yeah, um, and they, were they cool like, and they include some. There are some returning players, but there's a lot of new. Um, and then, especially if you didn't like play the first one recently, it probably would all just feel new to you. And I think that's. I like. I just really like the angle. I think it was just everything was just really well thought out and felt very intentional um, and cohesive in this game. Because a big thing that I like about it, and this speaks to, like the combat and the machines, is everything is. 
the same, but it is evolved, which fits because you are in the same world, but you're somewhere else on the map in the world. So it feels right. it really does feel like this is a Forbidden West where it's the same, but it's a little changed. You know, it's like it's still tall necks, but like it's a bit more of a puzzle. You can't just walk up to them and, and do it. You got to figure it out, you know, and it's like, OK, well, there's metal flowers, but I, I can't really pick them up. Okay, it says tool not had yet, you know, tool needed. Okay, I'll come back to this later. Um, like, it's just all a little bit different. And I like the ways that it plays with expectation. Obviously, if you don't have the expectation, you're just experiencing an awesome game. But I think with the combat, it just feels a little bit cleaner. I don't think it's the arrow combat feels to me at least like a complete overhaul. But I did hear a lot of people who maybe were played Horizon 1 a while ago or maybe weren't like in love with it. They're like, oh, no, this is this is the one. I'm like, mm. it's kind of the same. But I don't know. Mm. I mean, people I'm glad that people are more latching on to it now. Um, I think the big one of the big things that stands out to me is changing in the combat is the combination of just how much more the skill trees offer, because there's now six of them divided mm. among different you know, the six different kind of styles of play, like hunting or melee or um, like healing and machines and all those other things. But also there's the valor surge that you can have. Right. Where it's like this kind of power that you can unleash if you like build, fill up the meter all the way. And you can choose to like have that be, you know, something that's more combat based, something that's more healing based, something that has to do. And I think it leans really well into the systems of the game because there's one specifically that's you do more damage if you hit machine parts. And I'm like, when am I not hitting machine parts? Except I didn't actually equip that one because I didn't want the pressure of needing to hit the machine parts. But I'm like, that's so smart because that, that these are so clearly leaning into the ways that the game is meant and designed to be played and like kind of amping that up. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a good time. I am amazed that it runs apparently pretty decently on a base PS4. This piece of hardware from 2013 it is mind boggling. Um, I really kind of want to see it running on one of those things, but like it looks good. It's not the faces really blow me away. And I think maybe just kind of that opening area. There's definitely a, a lot of parts of like, okay, it's it's there's a lot of places you can looks better than this. I think even Last of Us Part 2 looks better than it in a lot of spots, but I think the faces and then getting into the open world and obviously taking on the big machines is where it really starts to pop. But yeah, playing on PS, PS5, is anybody blown away, underwhelmed? Give me some hot visual takes. The water looks really good. Water the looks animals, good. like the the regular animals, not the machines, but the machines are great too, also look really good. Yeah. I'm like, this this boar has boars have never looked this good. <laughs> um one thing I will though say, and I'm curious and like lightly nervous about how launch is gonna go, because I did experience like quite a few bugs and that varied across like mm. people that I've talked to. Um so hopefully that stuff gets patched out like they did drop a patch not too long ago like during the review cycle that hopefully helped with some of that but i know it also didn't help with all of it because i had people that still had bugs after that patch so hopefully those things get cleaned up and tightened because nothing ruined my experience but that was something that did stick out to me like the bugs were notable hmm interesting but otherwise you seem happy with them i i think it looks very good i have i still have a 1080p tv shame on me um, so I, I i switched it to performance mode which runs at like 60 frames per second mm-hmm. and it still looks great like i i switched between the two and it was like okay well the only thing that i can tell is this one has a much better frame rate so yeah. i'm gonna stick with that because otherwise you're just wasting it trying to get me up to 4k on my old tv but i i think the first game looked amazing yeah. as well you know so th- they're it's going to be an incremental improvement. But then I also appreciate the fact that like 
there are there are loading screens when you you know like if you're going to fast travel all the way across the map, but it's like five seconds, and I I appreciate that I'm not just. It's it's really has become less of an issue. You said you didn't know like if that whole if that you know sales pitch is completely dead at this point. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is this is one of the ones that you know shows the the upside of actually when when a developer knows how to use it, um, they can. They yeah, can it's still. I mean, the the fast travel loading in Pokemon Legends Arceus is also five seconds. Yeah, it's sure, and those are the same. Out the same graphically (laughs) i'm just saying relative to the hardware they're running on i don't know i just i think the big pitch about yeah loading screens are a thing of the past it's like okay everybody they're they're still going to be around it's not the end of the world but still not exactly instantaneous and whatever uh kyle you happy with the way this thing looks yeah i don't i i it doesn't feel like like well this is the playstation 5 showcase this is the game you show your friends yes playstation 5 but like yeah it looks great like there's nothing to complain about there yeah other than like clipping there's a lot of clipping (laughs) yeah is is there a game that you feel like you'd show people for like the beauty of the ps5 because honestly like Hmm. i think this actually might be it for me and that's not to say that like oh my god it's so beautiful my face is messing off or anything like that but it looks damn good um, I think I take Ratchet I can't really think of it. one that looks better Ratchet. other than, I mean, Astro's Playroom is nice. Like, it, it's very stylized, and that's a fun one, especially when you combine the dual sense. But I think this might be Ratchet. what I would show. Ratchet. Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the answer. Yeah. I mean, it is that is probably be- better looking than this. Obviously, they're very different art styles. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're probably I right. Don't know that yeah, I would, that's probably the one. I don't know that I would show them that over this. I think you climb up on a mountain and overlook a giant vista and that looks impressive it, it may not be you know like yeah i think for I, me i don't know where i think we're to that point where it's like what is a new generation going to do that's going to totally. completely blow our minds and it's, like, it, and well, it's, it's just, it's just be, that cross-gen thing you know you're just still waiting for that one exclusive yeah. like to that question janet like and some sometimes i would say returnal because returnal has like the speed element to it like it goes so fast and there's a lot of detail there um but a screenshot of returnal isn't necessarily like you know a next-gen showcase but returnal gameplay on firing on all cin- cylinders might be yeah yeah, yeah. And, and ratchet is like one of the few exclusives to ps5 so it makes sense yeah. that yeah. that would be yeah one of the ones i mean i think the mind-blowing thing yeah it might not be the visuals in this game, obviously it looks beautiful, you know, no doubt about it, but yeah, the mind blowing yeah. thing really is that this thing is running on base PS4 hardware and you can buy it and have a solid time based on the impressions I've seen so far of this thing on that old hardware, which is just, it's crazy that they pulled it off. Also, this is totally unrelated, but yeah. it's something that I didn't sink, like sink in with me until someone mentioned it to me. Um, that big trailer footage they showed of like, where they're like, this is San Francisco and like, this is the game and they show a little cutscene. Yeah. None of that happens in the game. Really? Yeah. Interesting. None of that that's, that's, not that's that you're not. Enough. You go to San Francisco. Like that's not a spoiler, and that isn't the marketing, and that's not a lie. And right, you know, right, right. Like the character they show, and that is, at least one of them is there. I don't know about the guy who got her. I think he was just meant to be an NPC in that huh. clip. But that whole thing, like when I got to San Francisco, I was like, oh, I'm at the trailer part, and then like it didn't register for me that that didn't happen. Like nothing in that happened, and I was like, huh. oh yeah, I guess that didn't happen. I don't know. It's well, again, it's, I don't mean to like pointed out for any specific reason i was just surprised to like register that in my mind because i that yeah nothing none of that happened that's interesting um the uh you know outside of visuals specifically just the art i guess this is going for but like i love the way the faces look in this game 
visually, yes. But also just, I love, like, I understand this is apparently a hot topic, but, like, Aloy's face... And I love no, like I'm glad you mentioned it. I love like she how imperfect so much it is. Yes, it just I love that like yeah, if you're living in this world, you're going to have weird acne. Your face is going to be rough. And I just love like the imperfections in all of these characters' faces throughout this game. It's like it's a cool way to ground this world. Like yeah, of course they're going to have perfect skin. Are you nuts? Have you seen this world? It also reminds me of like the conversation that was around, not that this is a one-to-one, but around like them changing Spider-Man's face completely, like when they like mm. made the PS5 version mm-hmm. and people being like, that's kind of weird because now his just face is different. Like, I don't know how I feel about that. that now, right, it's, it's a little different because he's in a mask most of the time anyway. So it's like, eh, you know, and that's just a different thing than creating a new character. And if they totally redesigned Aloy, I think that would be a lot more of a sticking point. But yeah. ultimately she generally looks the same like you can easily identify that as the same character and like no one would have any trouble being like both of those characters were Aloy but I just think the changes they did make too outside from like the creative ones of like maybe her like skin imperfections or the detail on her skin like she just I'm like whatever y'all did like it worked because she just looks better the whole thing looks better and I'm like yep y'all know what you're what you're doing here this this turned out great here's a controversial take I'm gonna really soften this one and put a big preamble on it i like ashley birch i think she's a good actor i think that she's very funny i appreciate a lot of things about her um she has this performance style in every big role that i've heard her in i don't know what you're talking yes it's breathy it's the breathy birch thing i remember we talked about it during the last of us part two deepest dive but it is every line is just delivered with a little extra exhale. And I don't know if I just hear it and now I can't unhear it, but it is driving me insane when I play this game. She's so breathy compared to everybody else. I don't know what it is. I don't know why she she's does winded. that. Yeah, and she's running around like crazy. No, not swimming during she's that. No, even just like small little dialogue scenes. No, I and I get in my head, I'm like, is it other actors too? No, it's just something about her exhaling in a deep way with every line she gives, it drives me nuts. But again, great person. I like Ashley Birch all well and good, but it's just, I can't stop thinking about it playing this game. Yeah, that's a, that's a you thing, Hanson. You noticed I, I it. You say, noticed yeah, it. I like her performance. I, I didn't, I don't know. I noticed it because you okay. pointed it out in a previous time and it's like, I, I knew it was going to drive you crazy. Yeah. Um, the Birch I, breath I, I on the back of my it. neck. I, I would just be happy if she would stop telling me that she's sending stuff to my stash because I know that that's where all the things I'm picking up are going. You don't have to keep telling me this is going to be my stash later. Also, there's a stash. And obviously this is like some of this information is very, you know, plenty of people are documenting this in in their reviews. But like this is like, you know, our time talking about it. So if you're if this is your first time hearing about it. Oh, my God, there's a stash. I'm so glad. Mm. Like not everything on my horizon wish list made it, uh, which is fair because none of them heard any of the things I said and I'm not a developer. So, and I also mentioned these things like a week before the game came out. So there's a lot of reasons That's interesting. why uh, That's Gorilla interesting. didn't take my feedback and incorporate it directly into their own work. Uh, but that being said, I, I love that they have the stash. I feel like so much of, and I felt that in the first game where I'm like, I hate that I'm constantly having to like inventory management manage. And I think it doesn't make sense in a game where, the further you go, there's like new weapons that you maybe like didn't even know existed that might need certain stuff or like an NPC might need. I'm like, I need everything I have I need. Like I need a place to put it all. I can't just keep crafting new stuff. 
and they let you do that and they make it so convenient um even when you're getting stuff from your stash like i love that you can just hold square and restock all your stuff like it's there's a lot of little they don't nail absolutely everything in terms of quality of life but they almost nail everything and the things that they do are just so useful and i think help amplify the things that make this game good yeah yeah i mean i mentioned it but you i mean in the first 30 minutes of this game you you probably are picking up over 100 items it is just like immediately gimme 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 yeah yeah that's that's just the game i'm still trying to wrap my mind a little bit a little bit around it jeff and i hope i'm not coming off coming across too negative but like i remember for horizon zero dawn you reviewed a game Informer, you gave it a 875 and you're Mm -hmm. like it's good it's good there's no doubt about it i'm just kind of sick of the far cry formula and i feel like we've talked about a thousand times on this podcast there's no greater curse than the far cry sequel of like yeah it's it's there's a lot in this game but i'm just kind of sick of this formula so it's interesting that the sequel to yeah. the game you said was too formulaic in a Far Cry open world sense. Now I mean, it's suddenly that, working for you again. I, I, yeah. I mean, I gave it an 875. So that was like the one criticism that I had was like, I'm sick of going into abandoned camps. I've only done one abandoned camp so far in yeah. this one. But but most most of those kind of formulaic things that I've gotten to in this game, they've actually put more thought into it. And it's been like... The first tall neck, as yeah. Janet mentioned, like you get to the tall neck and I thought, okay, you know, like I know what, you know, it's, it's the Assassin's Creed climb the tower thing, but there was like a whole other, like I had to go figure out how to get through this building and I was, you know, doing all this other stuff, like puzzly stuff that was inter that made it more interesting than previous ones. And even, yeah. even the bandit camp was like part of a different side quest where I was like discovering where, you know, these these one robots had come come through in this first area that were like causing havoc and and there was there was more going on to it and they have been more interesting and then and then again the the combat like i don't know how i forgot that i love the combat so much i went into this knowing that i love the combat but it's it's been another revelation of like oh yeah this is like probably my favorite open world combat from previous generation yeah. and it's it's just like nothing gets to it so i've I've just been in like maybe I'm maybe I'm over that hump of like I've been jaded with so many open I've been jaded with open world games for so long that it's like maybe this is the one that like gives me that it's still somewhat of a traditional experience but there's enough going on and the story again also I I should mention like I've been on board with with the story the entire time I got to one place last night it was three in the morning I should have been I should have already gone to bed and there was. <laughs> such a story twist to it and it's it's very early in the game but it was like what is going on like like they did not rest on their laurels in terms of what they were going to serve up with like the sci-fi side of it and like mm. they it could have it could have just been oh Hades is back somehow and we're going to fight Hades the entire game and it's like they went to such a weird place that I like love it. I want to I want to get it off this call and go right great. back to playing it like it only like honestly without like it's not as head ass and this is no offense to kojima kojima games because i actually do Ooh. like you know i like metal gear uh-huh. but it's like i was like did kojima write some of this all was, like, right crazy like i this is such a fun like if you're you know if you're listening to this and you're a content creator oh this is a good stream game obviously like watch out for the spoilers because it doesn't hit it wouldn't hit the same if you knew the stuff but the real like i had so much fun and i think this is a testament to the story being interesting because like you know obviously we're like playing these games before release so you can't share your thoughts like publicly because that's that's illegal that's a crime you know you're arrested by the the embargo police 
but I'll definitely like, you know, I, I've had times where I'll text like colleagues who are playing the game or message them. And sometimes that's practical for like, oh, how long is this thing? Or like, hey, like, you know, is this a bug or did you have, the, you know, and that's that's pretty dry. But like this was one where I was hooked on the drama of it. And like I mostly like hmm. texted Blessing about this and Greg to a degree. But I would just kind of live text like all these thoughts I'm having. I'm like, I can't put them anywhere else. Like, and I'm like, oh my God, this thing's happening. Then this other thing's happening. This thing's actually that. They're wild. And I think it works though, because one, it's ultimately sci-fi at the end of the day. So they can do crazy stuff. But it also works because they they take it seriously, but not so seriously that it's like cheeky or campy again like the writing is good the writing's good enough to pull off the crazy plot stuff they're doing i'm like if you know and i think about and i and i like dying light too um just fine i do think it fell apart for me at the end and one of the reasons it kind of did start falling apart besides the fact that it the pacing was super off and they just kind of put everything in the back end i'm like i i don't think you have the sauce to really pull that like someone could tell these stories and that's kind of my point with like any narrative in games right we talk about 12 minutes and like everyone hating that game because of the gross twist i'm like that's not why i don't like that game Mm -hmm. it's not because the twist is gross it's because you didn't write it well it's not pulled off well so many of these stories no there is no new story at this point in in society it's about the way you tell it and i think they tell their stuff well it's not that no one's ever done the plot points they're doing. Even some of them I've mentioned, I'm like, oh, Sony really loves using X, Y, Z type of stuff hmm. to be like, now it's dramatic. But yeah, like I, it, they just pull it off so well. It's so fun. I'm so excited for people to live through what I've lived through because it's, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> All right, there it is. Horizon Forbidden West. Everybody curious to hear more thoughts about it. Um, we're hoping to do a mech spoilers at some point to kind of unpack exactly what's interesting about the story and all this fun stuff. So you can look forward to that in the future. Um, let's see. Hey, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a game that we've been hearing about for a long time as like a, hey, isn't this an interesting little detail? Um, that Remedy... Our beloved studio, the Quantum Break Boys themselves, Control, Max Payne, one and two, um, that they were making the campaign, the single player campaign to one of the biggest multiplayer games in the world called Crossfire. Uh, And this is the Crossfire X campaign, and it's out now. Yeah, a, a game I had never heard of until this campaign stuff. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those like, oh, what you idiot! It has three billion players in China. How have you never heard yeah, of Crossfire? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so this campaign. Is it on Game Pass or where can people play this thing? I I don't have a solid answer for you. My understanding was that the first episode, the first, there's two small, like two kind of half campaigns, I guess. And my understanding was the first one is on Game Pass. But when I went to go play it, I had to buy it, which I think was like an error that they have since Yes, it looks like now it's on Game Pass. So how is it? Does it feel Remedy-ish? It's, it's, sometimes. It's interesting. Like, it's funny, I, I, I tweeted about it last night and people were like, I got a lot of like, oh, have you looked at the review scores on that one? Yeah. Which I had not. And uh, I, I sort of looked it up before this podcast and it, it like the, the, you know, the Metacritic and open critic score for the game is really low. Like IGN like, gave it a three. I saw like this game. Yeah. And that honestly surprised me. Uh, I, I'm not like, I careful. Like I, I'm not like over the moon for it or anything, but like to see it as low as it was, I was like, Really? I've been having a decent time with it. Like the way it, it feels like it does feel like an impression of a call of duty campaign. It really feels like a, someone making a call of duty campaign without the resources of call of duty. That's all fine. But if it's remedies yeah. take on a call of duty campaign, I'm interested in that formula. Exactly. Right. So the first level is like, I was like, Oh, 
this doesn't really, uh, it just kind of feels like a, a mediocre shooter. It's, it doesn't feel very remedy, but the second level has you sort of dreaming that you're back in your home okay. and you can kind of walk around your home and there you look at the TV and there is a live action, you know, woman on the warmer, TV who's like warmer. your wife. And I'm like, okay, this is the remedy game I'm looking for. Right. This is where it's at. And then like the next level is like, there's a lot of uh, the main character, you know, have sharing his inner monologue with you as, as he's going through what feels really like a Call of Duty game, which it's like, okay, there's, there's Alan Wake talking to me about what's going on. There's Max Payne explaining things. Yeah. And now I'm like near the end of the campaign and you kind of revisit your home every now and then. And now it's gotten really crazy and really abstract. And I'm like walking through it and like my bedroom's like up on the ceiling and I'm walking down these pathways. And it's like those moments where I'm like, this is pretty cool. Like this feels like a remedy on a smaller budget trying to sort of do something military shooter Call of Duty. But there's enough remedy stuff in there sprinkled in there that it's like I'm I'm engaged. And I'm interested to see where it goes. So I'm. I'm I'm generally pretty positive on it, which it surprises me when I'm looking at everyone else. Yeah, I'm no looking, one else seems to be. I'm looking everywhere else, and everybody says that you're wrong, Kyle. That it's not good, and you're not enjoying yourself. So I'm sorry. You're gonna have to let no, it go. Oh no, well. I mean, uh, I'm not. I'm, there's no world where I touch multiplayer, but uh, well, of course. <laughs> I mean, you're only human. Uh, Crossfire X is the name of that weirdo thing. Um, yeah. A game that if you if you really love remedy stuff and like you're on Game Pass, like play the first like at least first three levels and see if it's like up your alley. Yeah, right on. Um, another game that we've been meaning to talk about for a while is Supraland Six Inches Under. We're not mm. making this up. Supraland Six Inches Under, everybody, which is the sequel under to what? The Ground. Ground. It's all underground. So Superland. Under the, uh, sandbox. That's not deep enough. Yeah. I was thinking that too. I'm like, that's not Six Inches isn't that much. Yeah, I don't well, know. The fun thing about Superland is you're... Um, little guy big world so you're like a little mm. two inch plastic figure playing in like a sandbox and even in the first game like you could see a giant child like up in the sky sort of like playing uh so it's pr- six inches is pretty significant when you put in that context that's right uh it's all the context <laughs> that's right but hey uh superland it is first person kyle how would you describe what this game is you compared it to metroid prime a couple times which seems bold I still think that's maybe the closest one. Weird. Like, um, because it's it's very, like, unlocking. It, 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 it's a linear campaign. It's not, well, actually, that's not really true. You can go back. Uh, it, it, it's not quite as open as, like, Metroid Prime. But what the way it's structured is, like, you're a character moving through a place, and then you're getting new abilities that let you go to new places, and there's a lot of puzzles, which, and then there's, like, some combat scenarios. The combat's kind of a weak part of the game. The puzzles are, are really good. Um, and it's it's not so much that it's like this is a spiritual successor to Metroid Prime as much as it is like if you like Metroid Prime, you would like this kind of game structurally and mechanically. Right, right. It's one of those that the first game didn't get a lot of press was beloved that Supra is the name of the developer and publisher. And I believe both the first one and now definitely Supra land six inches under uh, sitting it overwhelmingly positive on Steam. And it came yeah. out like in January. It's like everybody that plays this game loves it, but it's just is not getting above the radar, probably because the publisher is Supra and does not have a lot of connections to the wider industry at this point or something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it's doing... It, because I think it was, you know, a passion project for maybe one, you know, a very small team, yeah. the first game. And I know that expressly... The, the reason I wanted to highlight it at least a little bit is, like, if you are interested in Superland or you played Superland, like, this really feels like a sequel. 
Like it kind of was the first times I saw it, I was like, oh, this is like DLC. I think it originally this is... was supposed to be DLC or something. Yeah. yeah and then, then I read stuff that was like, oh, this is like a rearranging of the main campaign. But it's like, no, no, it's like a, it's a sequel. It picks up where the first game left off and it's like all new. And I think the idea of it stated by the sort of core developer is that like he, you know, a, a lot of new people have been brought on to work on Supraland 2. Mm. And then this was kind of like the sort of test run. Interesting. Of like, let's make a Supraland game it's kind of smaller but it's like it is new in a full campaign yeah as we you know gear up to work on the proper sequel gotcha and you're digging it you think you're gonna like finish I like this it, thing yeah. or is it just like a, a cool little anomaly for you to mess around with uh wait what, what was your question is it, you think you're gonna finish it or is it just like hey this is better than i thought moving on um you know maybe maybe the latter if i'm, I'm being honest like yeah. i do really like it but i'm more interested in like a true proper sequel Right, where this right, right. is like a really good add-on, like a really good standalone add-on. Yeah. Uh, so, so we'll see if I finish it. But like, yeah, playing you know for like two or three hours, I was like, oh, this is much. This is more than I expected from this. This is cool. Yeah, I enjoyed what I played so far, but then I got nauseated very quickly, just like Metroid Prime. So mm-hmm. uh, Superland six <laughs> inches under is the name of that thing. I think it's Steam exclusive right now, so you can check it out. On yeah, yeah. Superland is on other platforms now. I think it's on That's Game right. Pass. Yeah, actually. somebody like, at Bex six Bex under about that. is just Steam. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, hey, Janet, do you know how this whole thing operates? Uh, Patreon. That's right, everybody. Patreon.com slash minmax with two N's. Um, that's an honor of Minnesota, Jeff. Um, fun fact. Oh. That's right. Uh, thanks to everybody who helped support Independent Games Media over there. We deeply appreciate it. And thank you to some of our bigger supporters, uh, including the fine folks at uh, Z-Man Games. They want everybody to know about... Uh, Star Wars Jabba's Palace, which is a love letter game. Jeff, have you ever played a, a love letter tabletop game? I have it. I'm sure it's probably up there somewhere. Yes, it's a it's a classic. It's a modern classic. Yeah, it is surprisingly good. I actually got a copy and got to play this, and it's all Star Wars theme for Star Wars Jabba's Palace, the love letter game. Um, but I really enjoyed my time with it. The best way I can describe it, Jeff, you, you correct me if I'm wrong. It's something like a, it's like an Uno meets like a uh, guess who <laughs> that level oh, but then like a notch using, above that for complexity worst, and anyone who enjoys board games as soon as you say uno and guess who they're out you're the right door. but i think it's like it's approachable it's a lot of just like quick conflict somebody's out every round you will laugh you will call people out you're trying to guess what number they have in their hand and in this yes, case you're not yes. just trying to guess a number you're trying to guess i think you got number five which is boba fett over there it's like ah oh, you got me i got han solo over here it's it's a good time if you're looking for an approachable tabletop game for two to six people um i really had a good time with star wars Jabba's palace also it comes in like a cute little package uh, cute little sack that it's easy to travel with, bring it to a, a bar, bring it to a restaurant, all that fun stuff. Um, also, thank you to the fine folks at Diverge Coffee. They say, hey everybody, Bryant and Nick here from Diverge Coffee. We just wanted to thank you again for all your support. We hope all of you wonderful min maxers have enjoyed the coffee you've gotten from us. If you haven't, check us out at divergecoffee.com and use code MINMAX for 15% off of any order. Again, that's divergecoffee.com, discount code MINMAX with two N's. Thank you to Diverge Coffee. Just wonderful to have you. Also, thank Thank you to the folks at Fixture Gaming. They want everybody to know about the Fixture S1, which is a clip that you put on your Nintendo Switch Pro controller, so you can slide the screen onto that and play with the best controller on the go. They have officially announced the Fixture S2 as well, which is for the OLED model of the Switch. There's no release date yet, but that is coming. There is a link in the description of this video, this podcast, if you want to check out the Fixture S1. It's very handy, and people like Ian T. Clark in the community seem to be enjoying it quite a bit. 
Also, thank you to the fine folks at I Am 8-Bit. They want everybody to know about the Spiritfarer's Collector's Edition uh, from Thunder Lotus. This is on Switch and PlayStation. It is the Collector's Edition of the wonderful game Spiritfarer that we all love so much. It's an I Am 8-Bit exclusive. It comes with a fully functional Everlight replica. Uh, it's a premium thing, premium product. Comes with a bunch of digital downloads for the soundtrack, digital download for a 96-page Spiritfarer art book, you can find it at iM8Bit's wonderful online store where if you use the promo code TIGERSTYLE, TIGERSTYLE, no space, you get 10% off everything in that online store. And because iM8Bit is so generous, uh, this week they're shipping out a prize from their wonderful online store, and it is the Disco Elysium soundtrack on vinyl. Three album soundtrack. So this is just their generosity. If you want to thank them for their generosity with the MinMax community, you can go support them by checking out their store and using that promo code TIGERSTYLE with no space. And they're giving out this Disco Elysium soundtrack to whoever has the best question. The best question of the week submitted over on Patreon. Are you ready to get to the bottom of this, everybody? Let's do it. Um, Janet, I know that in spirit you'll be here answering these questions, um, but um, would you... I always am. Yeah. Would you like to answer the first question? Uh, here's the question. Janet, what does it, <laughs> how do you ask this? What What would you do if you got to, uh, here's, here's the question, here's the question, Janet. If you were Are really- Jeff Are you Goldberg? filibustering right now? What's no, happening? here it goes, here it goes. Like, let's just say you were so impressed by the story of Horizon Forbidden West, you stood up and applauded. What would that sound like? Oh, okay. Wait, hold on. Okay, she's going to do it. She's going to do it. Oh my God, she's doing it. I have a standing there. She's so standing stand. up. What's happening? Your whole room is transforming. <laughs> Sarah Pazorski, welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> Why is it every time? Is it a dramatic pause or are you genuinely confused every time if you should say something? I sometimes I forget that you call on me. And I, like, I don't know what Out I'm of the gate, to say. you forget? <laughs> well, so I don't know what to say. What am I supposed to say? Like, hello, everyone. I guess it looks. I Me. know, I know podcasting's uncomfortable, but I think it's that idea for like audio <laughs> listeners, they need to know, you know, they need to be able to tell who's Sarah mm-hmm. and who's Jeffum because sometimes mm-hmm. it's all jumbled up. You can't tell mm-hmm. who's who these days. <laughs> right, Jeffum? Yeah, sure. Hang on. Do you, can we do a little impersonation off? Jeffum, can you try to do your best Sarah impersonation and Sarah, you can try and do your best Jeffum? No. I'm like, here we go. That. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so Jeffum, Jeffum, I'm going to call on you and I want you to do your best Sarah, okay? Oh, oh okay. Wait. All right. Okay, here we go. Uh, Jeff Marquiafava, welcome. I'm sorry. Okay, so this is Jeff I'm saying it. Okay, here we go. Okay, I got it. I got it. Sarah Pazorski, welcome to the podcast. Is it me as Jeff? I I do not (laughs) understand. (laughs) I knew a a joke you were going for. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so... here we go. This. So this is uh, this is uh, Jeff. Eleven in the morning. This is going to be Kyle impersonating Jeffum. Are you ready? Okay. So so then I say, hang on. I even got lost in my own life. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we have questions from the community. We can't do impersonations of each other. But actually, fun fact for audio listeners is we're all doing impersonations of each other for the rest of the podcast. I'm actually Sarah talking now. Anyways, Maniac submits a question over on Patreon. They say, what's wrong with Kyle's camera? Okay, then they say, do games... I nailed the Jeffum impression. That's what I was going for. Oh, comedy. (laughs) I see. Uh, Maniac writes in and says, do games need or deserve to be re-reviewed? Cyberpunk 2077 getting a ton of patches and now being quote-unquote officially released on next-gen consoles makes me think that a lot of people are asking the same thing. But day one launch reviews don't reflect the game that people will play today. 
Makes me think back to Rome 2 Total War, a favorite of mine in the series that had disastrous launch, launch but has been patched and supported, and it's good now. Um, I like seeing re-reviews when they pop up. I think it's too much to expect outlets to re-review every game all the time, but I think it's a fun thing of like, oh, by the way, Cyberpunk is good now. I would bet big sites Absolutely. would do that. Yeah, I mean, we would have those discussions at Game Informer sometime, and like, I th- if I remember correctly, I think we were like open to the idea, but it was always a matter of like resources. You know, it's hard to have like someone review a game that's already been reviewed a year later when there's other stuff going on. But like, I, I, yeah, I would love to see. I think that'd be really cool for people to re-examine Cyberpunk. You know, I think that'd be cool. I, I bet they will. And Kyle and I reacted to that big CD Projekt Red stream where they said, "Hey, it's out now. The big, the big new gen patch is available." It took it's them now an hour to, to say it, but yeah, they said it's out now. It was a, it was a long haul. Um, somebody commented on it, and I didn't include the comment. I'm sorry, over on Patreon, but they talked about just like how, um, that entire stream seemed to be the antithesis of hype. Like, is that Cyberpunk or City Project Red learning their lessons? Because it was just like a very... What the hell was that pterodactyl? That may have been a door in my house that's very squeaky. Are you, shut. Do you have WD-40? Door. Oh my God. Anyways, um, hey, how, I hope I never hear that nightmarish sound wow, again. It really like threw you off. A <laughs> demon noise. <laughs> it was hellish. Um, anyways, Kyle, was like, the question is like, you know, was that the right way to re-reveal Cyberpunk? Is just like no hype, but just a lot of like the AI is ten percent better now. Check out these streets. It's on new gen consoles, and there's a five hour free trial. Please give us a chance. Goodbye. I, uh, uh, uh no. I I think it started really strong where they were just like, look at this gameplay running on PlayStation Five, right. running on Series X, and then like, but just the sort of the sort of. 45 minute long like breakdown of, of sort of things that have been tweaked and changed didn't really get me excited there was all. nothing really it's like hey we've got a yeah. couple new guns and stuff it was kind of underwhelming if you were expecting like the big splash like look at us now it's not really that it's more of a modest like if, if you yeah. want to play it it's fine now go seemed to be the you tone can, you can wear red lipstick now like it's all right, it was all right. good it was all stuff that like is good like yeah very cool that that stuff's in the game but I would have I think what would have been more effective honestly putting on my marketing guy hat a Please. little bit is like just a, a sort of a quick highlight reel trailer of like, here's all the new stuff. Boom, 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 boom. Here's the stuff we fixed. Boom, 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 boom. You know what I mean? And like release it as like a, a maybe like a five minute trailer, like a long trailer. I think might have been more effective. Instead of like the trailer they released was a little bit more cinematic and trying to make the game look yeah. cool again and whatnot. But yeah, I, I hope people check out Cyberpunk 2077 now. Um, yeah, I always... did download the patch to that being said. Like I'm eager oh, nice. to at least you drive around Night City at 60 FPS for a little while. Like I, I hope I hope people revisit it. Yeah, uh, and you can always check out the deepest dive on Cyberpunk 2077 that we did. Um, it's evergreen on our YouTube channel or in the Patreon-exclusive podcast feed as well if you want to play along with us. We don't talk too much about the tech stuff at launch, I don't believe, but I think there's just a lot to unpack. Like, you forget, Jeff, um, remember how many people would write into the deepest dive talking about like, oh, this is like the greatest city in any video game ever and just no one's talking about it because all people are talking about is the tech is a disaster. Yeah, it's almost like the social media zeitgeist just completely rewrote what the conversation was about that game. Yeah, it was a weird one. Uh, so yes, Maniac Games should be re-reviewed at some point, but expecting outlets to keep up with that for how many games are out there is not realistic, but it's a fun bonus, I think, every once in a while, you know? Yeah, I don't I don't think they have to. Yeah. Because a review just kind of... A review is more about that person's experience in the time when they reviewed it. You know, like if you went back and read a review of Citizen Kane or whatever it's it's interesting because it is 
it becomes a historical thing. And I think that's interesting about video game reviews as well. It's just not as helpful if people want to know if they should buy it now or, you know, what it's, it, it would be nice to have that later half of it too, for games that evolve so that yeah. you could look at them side by side. But Sarah, in your entire life, your mm-hmm. entire adult life and mm-hmm. child life, have you ever written a game review? No. Have you ever thought like maybe at some point, because I know you wanted to get into video games, right? In college, did you ever mm-hmm. think like, ah, maybe at some point I'll apply for those hacks over at Game Informer and write something? I went to college for journalism, too. Oh. That was my entire degree. Yeah. Um, but I did it more for, like, strengthening my writing skills over actually being able to write a journalism article. And it honestly just seems like a sunk cost fallacy at this point. To like write or go online and like write a review, it just seems like uh, a lot of a lot of work. And then I'm like, who actually wants to read what I want to write when you could just listen to me say it? Yeah, I'm in the exact same camp. Like I've still never written a game review, and I was like, yeah, I don't feel the need to at all. But, uh, Bed Bath and Badoo writes in and says, "What's the most effective or memorable commercial you've ever seen, and why?" Effective or memorable? Do you guys remember mm. the game, the Nintendo GameCube Animal Crossing commercial? No. Where they were all in the Animal Crossing. You got to look this up. They like made Animal Crossing character suits. Mm. Like they made like big plush character suits that they put adults in, and then they kind of filmed it like it was like friends. They were like, "Today, a walrus moved into my ho- house, That's and like brilliant. my roommate will pick up his." And they literally like, rebuilt the game in like real life. What? And it, it's like, it's one of the craziest commercials I've seen for a video game. And truly, like, we don't... Now Nintendo's, like, a celebrity plays Animal Crossing, and that's the commercial. Right, So right. I would just like to go back to, like, tr- actually trying. <laughs> back when well, it was Well, I mean, good. it's so weird. That, that world of television commercial just is, like, people who buy video games are not watching television commercials, I don't think. And it's, like... That like I, I also think of another like Nintendo had some good ones like the Smash Brothers the original yes. Smash Brothers commercials fantastic yes like similar you know mascot costumes it shows all the characters like getting along then they start fighting and it really quickly and in a funny way sells what the game is to someone who is like maybe half interested in video games where now all the marketing stuff now all the trailers and everything are focused specifically at the person who was often already committed to buying a game yeah. at least on Nintendo's side of things you know but do you feel like that was why you got into Animal Crossing Sarah as you saw that and you're like I what think, the hell is this yeah as a kid it like really grabbed my attention so it did it did what entirely it was supposed to do I don't think as a kid I would care as much if Brie Larson played Animal Crossing you know so I don't know like as a kid I wouldn't see that and be like wow Rich people play video games too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but maybe it's a celebrity you cared about uh, something. It's easier than coming up with a clever idea, uh, like mm-hmm. recreating friends but with all crossing characters, whatever the hell they're going to do. Um, yeah, this is a tough one. Like the most effective commercial. I was thinking about like, it has to be a commercial for something that I truly do not care at all about, but because of just a good idea from a marketing team, they got on everybody's radar. And I was thinking like, are the Old Spice commercials contenders? Because like, who ever mm, thought or cared They've about... they kind of overstayed their welcome. But no I doubt. But originally they were contenders. But public uh, consciousness, like the level of Old Spice before those commercials and then after those commercials, like that is a huge, big jump in that graph, all because Terry Crews just screaming with absurdity at the camera. <laughs> You know, there was one I remember now that I'm thinking about it, like of like, because I, I always think in the context of video games with this stuff, but like, 
I remember it was shortly after my kid was born and my wife and I went to a movie and the trailer before the movie was like a montage of parents taking photographs of their kids and watching them grow up. Uh-huh. And it like moved me. Like yeah. I was like ready to cry. And my wife and I even joked, we're like, we don't know what this service is, but like we're ready to sign up for it. We're ready to pay for whatever this commercial is. Right. And it, what it was, was a uh, like, I think it was Google you know, backup, like you can pay to back up all your photos. Right, right, right. With the idea that like, if you're taking pictures of your kids, right, when they're born, you want to make sure that that's, if you drop your phone and you lose the lifetime of your child, you lose like, your baby. photographs, I was like, you lose the child like, itself. Sign that's me right. up. You're absolutely right. You exist. <laughs> Man, that, that's good. That's good. I was amazed, like, I'm, I'm fascinated by commercials, especially Super Bowl commercials. Really enjoyed watching them. We talked about it a little bit on Party Chat or Patreon exclusive podcast this week. But I'm always amazed by the commercials that just where somebody really sells their soul and just no one cares anymore, where a celebrity can really just sell out and not like this person was the peak of dignity. But like it just it was surprising that like, hey, Jim Carrey was in a Super Bowl commercial where he brought back his uh, cable guy character and no one talked about it. Nobody cared. It was just the biggest wet fart of a commercial. And I feel like no one's even going to judge him. Like the idea of selling out for a commercial just does not exist anymore. Right. Everyone's just like, well, there you go. Get paid. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. Oh, re- real quick. Hanson, we talked about it on, um, uh, on council, um, party chat. Thank our, you. Our, uh, yeah. Uh, party chat. Uh, the very first commercials for jackass that aired on MTV. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah where they showed the start of the stunt, but didn't show the conclusion. Amazing. And then just gave you a date for when the show would air. Mm-hmm. Very effective. Very effective. <laughs> Ooh, thinking more about those commercials where they take a product that's a zero in my mind and somehow make it like a term that's stored in my head. What about like Aflac and the Gilbert Gottfried <laughs> duck? Mm. I mean, that's, that's efficient. Yeah. Everybody knows that now. Flow. It's true. Any sort it's of true. insurance thing. They're very clever over there in the insurance world. Sarah, do you have any more thoughts on the insurance world we should cover on this podcast? Yeah. Wow. I sure love that they all have cute little handy mascots so I can remember their names. That's right. That's right. It's my favorite thing, too. Geico. Yeah, the Geico. Geico. Geico's weird because they they tried like 10 different campaigns, but all at the same time. It's like you had the lizard and then you had cavemen. It was like just a scatter shot of like, we're going to do everything. Just please get insurance. And maybe the cavemen (laughs) were the most successful because then they made the whole sitcom about those cavemen <laughs> which everybody knows and loves um Fetsum, nick kroll that's right good caveman name nick kroll uh <laughs> fetsum kadanu writes and he says kudos ben for pronouncing my name correctly on the first attempt last week oh crap hopefully i did again um anyways i was replaying bioshock infinite and the opening reveal of columbia continues to amaze me maybe it's the combination of the 1920s architecture the camera angles the color palette with futuristic technology that takes my breath away it reminds me of the first time i saw hyrule field or when you're introduced to that first level of mario 64 these reveals make me want to visit those worlds my question is for the crew what is your favorite game setting slash world reveal something that was like an oh moment and you knew it was something special I mean, Ocarina is a great one. Yeah. It, it it feels, you go look at it now, it probably looks silly. But like the first time you leave and like walk into that field, it was stunning. Like it was like, I felt like I was in the future of video games. Yeah. And now you go back and look at it. It's like, where's all the collectibles? Give us something to do in this stupid empty <laughs> field. It's so boring. Uh, you can run a horse in circles and at night scary things come out. Um, 
Yeah, I don't. I, this is interesting. I'm trying to think of like those moments, and it's it's recent, so I don't want to choose it. But realistically, the first trailer where they showed Pokemon Legends Arceus, and you can just tell from the first shot. Don't laugh, Sarah. We've only talked about that game for six hours. Don't laugh. But like the first time that they show just the environment and like what that means for Pokemon, the fact that like, hey, we are doing this, and you know it is a built-in symbolism for we are doing kind of like a Breath of the Wild type thing for Pokemon. I feel like that was pretty impactful and we we're streaming our reaction to that, so it's nice that's preserved. Mm-hmm. Right, Sarah? I think uh, for... The original Bioshock as well, you know, Beyond Infinite. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think this is where, for me, like, JRPGs really shine because they are super, super long, but the range of environments yeah. that you encounter in a JRPG, like, I can only think of, like, the first time I really dove into one was Tales of Symphonia. Ooh, and the fact that they just kept like upping the ante on these like worlds, locations, these towns, these people. I was just like, we've really peaked at this town. And then like five hours later of gameplay, you're like, nope, this is the really good town. And they just kept <laughs> upping it and upping it and upping it. And it was right, right, right. incredible to me. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I didn't know you were a Tales of Symphonia person. I love Tales of Symphonia. I did too. It was good. I should go back and replay it or load up my save or something. Because it's one that I really loved. But I go back and it's like, I remember Lloyd... I remember the... The beginning one... is kind of a slog. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. And then there's that weird sequel so to Tales it game. that no one liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Kyle, did you have thoughts on that uh, Bioshock movie that Netflix announced? We did a tweet about it, and I was amazed how negative everybody was about it. It's like, okay. I guess it's still I, a, a I holy know. grail for folks. I'm, I'm open to it. Yeah, I, I like to see those interpretations. I liked watching Cowboy Bebop on Netflix. I like seeing people do, like, take something I know and, like, see what they do with it. I mean... I was, uh... I, I, and Castlevania I, is still the high standard for like video game adaptation, I think. Yeah. And that's a Netflix joint. So like I'm op- I'm optimistic. Reviews. It's a really cool story. It would be cool if I could tell my parents to go check out the Bioshock movie <laughs> so they could learn about Rapture. That does cool sound place. like the definition of cool in my mind is you talking to your parents about a Bioshock movie. <laughs> um, you know, the, the Cuphead show is on Netflix this week as well. And those reviews are also super good. So, so yeah, if they can do yeah, Cuphead, they can do Bioshock. It's one to one. Um, and I'm excited to start a Cuphead thing that I can see to credits. That's really <laughs> it's really hard. No, actually. you actually can't. Yeah, Kyle. it's really challenging. Yeah, you have to press the buttons on your remote at precise moments <laughs> during the show. Uh, Otherwise, they just boot you out uh-huh. back to the Netflix menu. So uh, Andrew Molnar writes in and says, Hey, everybody, uh, I'm currently watching Encanto with my two-year-old son for the 50th time. He just can't get enough of it. At two? At two, that feels like an age where it's like, oh, you yeah. can just tell him we're not going to watch this anymore. No, uh, it makes them my kid watches it all the time as well. Well, he likes he likes the songs from it. Mm-hmm. it. They've they've been added to his like playlist of songs, and he he brightens up every time. Wait, so, 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 playlist of songs? Surface. You have like a Spotify yeah. playlist for your kid? Well, it's YouTube. He's not, not Spotify. Uh, that would be I know he's a big Rogan fan. Uh, so uh, Jeff, what does he think of? Uh, we don't talk about Bruno not having an Oscar nomination. Like that's absurd. He's right? outraged. Yeah. Yes, I, I mean, don't even I know bring it like up. Disney cries every time. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But they they chose some other song that I didn't recognize immediately. Seeing there. Well, the thing concert. is, is they 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 submitted the song before the movie came out. They're like, well, this will be uh, the one. And then the movie came out, and they're like, oops. <laughs> what <laughs> it was um, this one? What this- song did they think was going to be more popular? Uh, it's the one, maybe Jeff knows the names, but it's like the one near the end that kind of explains what happened to the grandparent, kind of. Oh. It's the moving one. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a mistake. What The um, one that's in Spanish? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. What is going on 
with the Bruno song. I feel like I'm getting glimpses of just... Have you watched the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I enjoyed the okay, movie. Okay. I enjoyed the song. But then I just see glimpses of just culture, and I feel like these flashes, it's just a graph rising of, <laughs> we don't talk about Bruno, and now it's become like, well, this is just this generation's let it go. It's just bizarre how yeah. much it's risen. I mean, statistically, it is their biggest hit since Let It Go. Like, it's just a huge mainstream hit. Like, it's like, it, you know, Disney songs are always good and they are always successful, but, like, there's only been a few that, like, elevate to, like, you hear on, like, mainstream radio. And it's like, Let It Go and We Don't Talk About Bruno is one. Now. Wait, they're playing We Don't Talk About Bruno on the radio? It's my understanding. Yeah, I don't listen to the radio. No one listens to... <laughs> there's no way anyone could verify that. That's, yeah. If radio <laughs> yeah, still exists, right. it's probably on there right now. Uh, okay, guess how many views it has for Disney Music Vivo on YouTube for We Don't Talk About Bruno. Uh, 50 million. Uh, 200, 200 million. 230 million. Uh, let's yeah, see. Yeah, like 30 million of those is my son. <laughs> Sounds like a scary song for him. That's going to be fun. I, mean, I, 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 I genuinely really like that song. Like when the first time I watched that movie afterward, I was like, that was a good movie. Those were good songs, but. Man, we don't talk about Bruno. That's the standout. That was it's, something special. It's the most I fun. really love it. Yeah. Um, like, I love just, like, how she, like, can't control herself, and she's, like, uncomfortably dancing a little yeah. bit as they're explaining mm-hmm. this stuff. I, I do think it's it's a cool idea, though, Jeff. Like, can you imagine being really into a partly Spanish soundtrack when you're one and a half? Like, that's really going to have a huge impact on your kid. It could. He's going to love Certainly. Spanish now. He's going to love taking Spanish in school or whatever. Maybe. What does it look like? When a year and a half year old kid is really into a song, what do they do? He, wherever he is in the house, if he hears it, he like perks up and he'll just kind of walk towards the TV like the Pied Piper has come (laughs) into the house. And then he'll stand there with a giant smile on his face. And every now and then he'll be like, (laughs) when something happens, he he actually likes surface pressure more. Really? and, And like. Every time they show the donkeys, I yes. think he, yep. mm-hmm. he laughs at the donkeys. So. I wish I could like recapture such pure childhood joy. God, yeah. I miss it. I want to go back. When is the last time you think you felt happy, Sarah? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Who wrote in that question? That could be question of the week. <laughs> um, when was the last time you felt happy? Felt anything, really. No, sorry. Did I finish Andrew's question? He has a lot. He says, um, yep, he's watching Encanto for the 50th time. Um, what's a movie you watched over and over again without ever growing tired of it? Uh, yeah, I think we talked about it before at some point, but for me, it was Tiny Toons, How I Spent My Summer Vacation. I would rent that movie, bring it back to, uh, what is it called? I used to work at this place. I forget the name of the rental store. Anyways, the point is I would go in and then just rent it immediately again. And I would just keep it on that loop because in my mind, it was the funniest film you could ever create. And I, I want to say it holds up. I haven't watched it since I was seven, but in my mind, it is like a slam dunk funniest thing imaginable. How much money have you spent on Tiny Toon rentals? Well, I still have a copy out. So those late fees are going to be diabolical <laughs> when I have to bring them back to home video or whatever the place was called. I don't know what it stands out for other people. I mean, ch- childhood, Back to the Future was like a staple for Ooh, me. Ooh, interesting. Uh, and my brother watched a lot of Back to the Future over and over. A lot of the, all, like all six of the Star Trek movies were kind of always sort of looping. Um, Calling all like nerds. The, yeah, right. Yeah. But modern today, I I probably watch Akira like every eight months or something. Eight it's months? Like a, 
yeah, it's like a comfort movie for me. I just like it's I watch it and it's like it's one of those movies that I watch. And I enjoy the world and I've read the manga a couple times. I read it recently. I read it like when the last two years or something. And like I, it's just a feat of animation that I genuinely don't think will ever be achieved again in animation because it's just the way animation is done today. It just will never be done like that again and it will never be done at that scale again. So it's like, huh. it's just really, I love watching it because I just don't, it's just never going to happen again, I don't think. I probably haven't watched it since high school. And I remember I went to like a, a Sam Goody and it's like me and Ronnie and we're going to buy Pokemon cards or some nonsense. And then I remember the guy was like, behind the counter, he's like, hey, uh, we got a steelbook version of, or whatever the hell it was called, some fancy DVD version of Akira. You guys should, if you like anime, you should you should buy it. If you like Dragon Ball, you should buy it. And I was like, well, I like Dragon Ball. And so we bought it and watched it several times and both of us were just like, huh, this is supposed to be the greatest movie of all time? And that's like the last time I ever really watched Akira. So I, I need to go back and have I, you... I don't think that's an unfair examination because it is okay. very confusing. Like I cannot right. explain. I kind of feel like I understand it now because I've read the manga twice and I've watched the movie uh, seven million times. Right. But like I can't really explain what happens in the end of that movie. Huh. It doesn't really make sense. It's more like a tone piece, like during the last 15 minutes. That's a good excuse actual, like, for any plot. movie that doesn't make sense. No, no, they're going for a tone piece. Don't you see yeah. all those terrible videos supposedly, I made with friends in high school? Supposedly Otamo has said that he actually dislikes the end of the movie. He's unhappy with how it came out. Uh, oh. But I've I've never confirmed that. I've only seen secondhand people say that. So trying to make a beautiful true. film, that it turns out it was all gross. There's a bunch of weird body <laughs> stuff in it. <laughs> this is disgusting. This is what you've been drawing for the last good six months. God, what's wrong with you animators? <laughs> Um, I don't know. Sarah, do you have like a childhood favorite? Mm, I mean, as a kid, I watched a lot of like Pocahontas and Mulan. But mm. in high school, it was kind of like you were aggressively forced to watch like Mean Girls, like on any kind of trip <laughs> or at any sleepover. Like, right. not, it's a good movie. Like, but I, you literally, you had to watch Mean Girls and you had to quote Mean Girls. Yeah. A lot. Like, anytime on the color Pretty guard bad. bus. We're watching Mean Girls. Like, I don't... That's what we're watching. And we're going to watch it again once we finish it, so... Jesus. It could be worse. Yeah. It really could be worse. <laughs> it could be worse. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, um, for you, was it um, the train coming at the screen, or was it the guys leaving the factory? <laughs> Which one was it that you really enjoyed? <laughs> the guy shooting his gun into the camera. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was the train. It was the yes. train. It was a good, it was a good one. I, it was Goonies and the never-ending story as a kid, which my kid also likes the theme song. Never ending story. That is good. Well. Good theme. Good um, theme. But I think as an adult or an immature adult, at least, I think I've seen Wet Hot American Summer a thousand times and I will never stop <laughs> laughing at that movie. Still. What do you think is the funniest part of Wet Hot American Summer? Any scene that Paul Rudd is in. Okay. The, him cleaning up after throwing his fist yes. in the kitchen. And, and being, and like, I have seen like, I'm waiting for my kid to to do that because it is such a kid thing. Of, oh, <laughs> fine, <laughs> but also if if you ever if you ever get the DVD version of it, yeah, they have an entire audio track, like you know, like a commentary track, but it just adds more fart sounds. David Wayne is just a just brilliant, genius. brilliant yeah. stuff. Um, God, can you believe that Dan Reichert's never seen that movie? Really? He lives it. He lives it. <laughs> What's yeah, he need to see it? Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Um, my name is Dan, writes in, weird, um, and says, Hey, friends, uh, if the development and production of new games for one console that existed before the year 2002 started to pick back up now, what console would you like it to be and why? 
Look, I guess that's confusing, but basically if they just kept up the production as if like, we're still making new games and new systems for this console, what would you want? The GameCube? Because I like yeah. the disc size. It that's it. I want to go back to those cute tiny discs. Did you ever have one of those CD players with the mini discs? No. I remember a friend of mine got it. It was around that same era. It's like, this is the future of CDs. Is you got to have this mini disc player where it's a CD, but just half the size. What? But remember how cool you felt when you got a game and it had yes. like more than one GameCube disc? Yes. And at the point it would pause and you'd be like, this is it. This is my moment. It's very cool. You get to play with those <laughs> tiny discs. Oh, and I like the <laughs> case. It's like the most heavy duty case of that generation yeah. as well. Well, that's because they actually had the booklets in them still. Mm. The cases nowadays are so light. You could just like, you know... There's like there's nothing. I need the heft. Need I the need heft. the heft of an instruction booklet that I'll never read. I do think GameCube <laughs> is the correct choice. Ooh, Dreamcast. I guess I was gonna say because GameCube just has so much personality and it's so distinct, and that's what you want. I think if you're gonna bring something back, but in some ways the GameCube is like a Dreamcast for dummies <laughs> when it comes to like personality wow. and vibe. Like we just, personality and vibe. GameCube has a vibe, but the Dreamcast is like just fifty percent more. Vibalicious overall. So you'd have to keep that rolling. Do I sound like a young person, Sarah? It doesn't make any sense. I I have no clue what you just I haven't I haven't heard a single thing you said for no. the past minute. No, Sarah, this is a professional video game podcast, so it, it checks if out. The Dreamcast is more vibalicious than the GameCube. <laughs> yes, 50%. Did okay. I stutter? 50%. I don't I when I look at it, I don't see the vibes. Have you ever played a Dreamcast, Sarah? No. Oh my the, god. The controllers look like hell though. They are they're funky. Imagine if I don't I we I we got an argument about this once at GI where yeah. I was like, this is the worst controller. The Dreamcast? Like, nah, it's great. I was like, Dreamcast sucks. <laughs> no. What? That controller We're is We're reliving so much that better. conversation right now. I know. Yeah. I no, do I look as handles? apathetic about it as I did back then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but honestly, Maybe compare- it's because I played, you know, Shenmue on it, but like it just hurt my hands. Hurt <laughs> your hands. Well, you're because you're gripping it because the game's too intense. But you compare the comfort of a game or a Dreamcast controller to freaking NES controller. Are you kidding me? Super NES controller? Oh, it kicks yeah. its butt. Mops the floor with it. Super Nintendo. Absolutely, it's more comfortable than yeah, Super Nintendo. You are another idiot. Lo- ongoing conversation, Hanson. Now you've drugged me yeah. into this stupid conversation. <laughs> Wake up, sheeple. Old controllers sucked. You just like <laughs> being a kid. We peeked at the GameCube controller and it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> I'm absolutely with Sarah. Um, I like when the, the buttons game. were actually different shapes and mm. I didn't just have to memorize where they were. Hang on a second, Sarah. You yeah. do realize that your beloved Sonic Adventure 2 battle, that that's some Dreamcast vibes. That's what you love. But it was on I played it on the GameCube. Yeah, that's like sloppy seconds on that GameCube. That's yeah, no but good. I, it was on the GameCube for me. Sure, but that battle mode. Yeah, yeah. but the vibes I'm saying. The vibes are the core of the Dreamcast. Anyways, um at some point I want to buy a Dreamcast. I thought it was the piracy. Look, honestly, that's probably also why I liked it a lot. Is because it's like, all right, let's go over to Ronnie's house and we had every game ever. This seems pretty cool. Virtual tennis for rules. I never would have played it without that. Um, but the weird thing about the Dreamcast controller, that I'm thinking a lot about just staying up late at night, is like the controller. Yeah, it's got like the weird grooves, and yeah, it's weird that the cord comes down the bottom and all that stuff. But yeah, it's got the VMU. Yeah, list more bad things about it. I think those are all just funky things about it. It's still fine to hold. But the weird thing is that like it's got like the bumps on the analog stick. It's just like. It's weird. It's like if your analog stick has some weird disease. It's just got like the measles or something. It's, but it's cool. 
You know, mm-hmm. I also, speaking of GameCube control, I also like that octagonal sort of shape for the, uh, that the control stick would rest in. Right. It was on the, the Wii mm-hmm. as well, and then they've abandoned it. But I always liked it. I thought yeah. it was really good. You could good actually for... get a good angle if you had to. Yeah, like you could run yeah. in a straight line as Mario really easily. Right, right, right. Uh, let's see. James Smith has a question saying, Hey, everybody, was watching the Ghostwire Tokyo stream last week and had a thought when they mentioned that this was their first open world game. We're getting Horizon Forbidden West this week for a while. And for a while, it's felt like the trend has been swinging to studios moving to open world games. Even Neil Druckmann said the original pitch for The Last of Us Part Two was an open world game, or at least more open, I think he said. Anyway, the question is when was the last time you can remember a studio going from an open world game to a linear one? Did we talk about this before? It's my favorite thing. I feel like we talked about it, and there has to be a good answer. I mean, Naughty Dog is a good answer. They went from, from Jack, Jack 3? 3 to Uncharted. That's interesting. And yeah. then, um, I mean, you could even say Rockstar. I mean, they did GTA 4 and then Max Payne 3, right? <sighs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah, you could even say something. Is the Warriors open world? I've never played the Warriors. Uh, n- I don't think so. Okay. I could be wrong. And that. then you can go back to like state of emergency, I guess, of like uh, open mall. Um, Table tennis. Yeah. Yeah. The best I can really think of is like Obsidian for kind of the more modern era where Outer Worlds is open region compared to like a Fallout New Vegas, more open world. But I feel like the industry is primed for a big studio to announce that their new game is not open world anymore, but it's going to be a linear experience and people would really pop hard for it. I feel like, you know, Hey, yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if Wolverine will be linear. Ooh, that's a great example. Uh, Wouldn't people be excited? It's like, Hey everybody, this is going to be a 12 hour linear narrative experience. Am I nuts? I feel like people would be really into that. I'd be into that. Yeah. Okay. Or even like, you know, Hey, we're announcing, I mean, the, the classic examples, if Rocksteady was making a new superhero game, and say, hey, it's going to be a Metroidvania type game. Please enjoy. I feel like people would be so much more excited about it than another open world living game or something. Um, did you beat Batman Arkham Asylum yet, Sarah? I saw you've been streaming that. I did. Ooh. I did think? beat it. Um, I definitely brute forced my way. It, I really have a talent of absolutely ignoring any mechanics the game tries to teach me and then somehow <laughs> like making it to the end anyways, which mm. is definitely what I did in that Batman game. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of miss when games were like simpler like that like i really enjoyed like it was like the the like the pacing was really good in that game yeah i never felt like i was staying in one location for too long like things moved the only thing i would complain about is like the boss design was kind of very repetitive or sometimes it would just change entirely for no reason but yeah yeah i I miss when games were more light hearted like that i don't know how to describe <laughs> like it a but there's a certain Batman simple game. it's yes. simple simple and fun yes they didn't overcomplicate it there wasn't like a skill tree there wasn't like 10 different menus yes so yeah i was a little nostalgic for it yeah there's just a beautiful purity despite never to it. playing it when i was growing up no i get it i totally get it it's <laughs> yeah. a nostalgia for just that level of just here's what this game is it'll be a fun mm-hmm. experience we're not ex- expecting to change the world with it but yeah now people are just nostalgic as hell for it um, let's see. Christian Garcia says, Hey everybody, uh, Ben's recent rants on having people acknowledge the PS4 already had speakers in the controller reminds me of my own struggles getting people to acknowledge the following two things. Number one, people call Sony Spider-Man combat Arkham-like, but to my knowledge, Spider-Man 2 on the PS2 had the mechanic of pressing a button to counter once the Spidey sense kicks in. Arkham games should be called Spider-Man-like. <laughs> Kyle, is that legit? 
I don't know. I actually don't remember because like the thing I I love Spider Man too, but I do I don't remember anything about the combat in that game. That game was all about swinging, man. Yeah, um, baby. But I think I think the innovation for Batman is like how how crucial that counter is. Like if I remember correctly, Spider Man Two is very combo heavy. Yeah. But like to be successful in Batman, like you you can almost make it without throwing a punch. Like if you really want to, right, right. Like you can just counter everything, and yeah, it was don't. it was more crucial. But I I think that's a fair uh, okay. thing to point out. All right, yeah. as long as you're not deflating, Christian. Uh, then they say number two, Road Trip Adventure on the PlayStation Two did Rocket League way back in 2002, complete with rocket equipped cars as well. My better quest goal for the month is to share these facts with the world. All right, noted. <laughs> Done. Yeah, that Road Trip Adventure game, I want to play it. It's one of those weird anomalies on the PS2 that people really love. Is, uh, uh, is that associated with, because um, Rocket League had a version before no, Rocket League, right? Supersonic Hyper Cars or something. Okay, yeah. not not the same team or not anything that, like that? Not that, not oh, that. okay. Um, let's see, Jeff D. writes in, oh, your rival, Jeffum. <gasps> and they say, a time-traveling DeLorean is parked outside your house. What is the first time you visit? First new era. If you could get into it and you press anything on that cool little dial, where are you going? Thousand years into the future. Really? Interesting. I don't think I'd go back to the past. No? You don't want to see anything? I don't think that would turn out well for me, personally. I probably would be burned for being a witch. Honestly, at any time, I showed up, so probably not. Great. Even like 1963, they'd be like, she's probably a witch. Yeah, that would just be boring. Right, like, right. Oh. Um, I mean, you could go back. I mean, just to, selfishly, you could go and like not go too far back to disrupt to disrupt the you know, space time continuum and like buy some GameStop stock or something. Oh, like that. yeah, know, I think that's what I would small. do. I don't think I'd yeah. like. I think I would squander it entirely. Yeah. Smart. Yeah, I, I would be number one. Just see a dinosaur. And then get out of there. But I could come back and tell you all what it looked like, and it'd be really cool. And then yeah, would you be upset if it had feathers? Would you react the same way you reacted when you saw that T Rex with feathers? Yeah, disgust. If it had feathers, I would then. I don't think you should go back then. No, I would floor the DeLorean and just ram into it. Shatter your mind. (laughs) (laughs) I would be hell bent on then plucking the feathers off. Right through it. That's right. (laughs) Um, Hey, what about this for a thought? You know how everybody's always like. This timeline sucks. The world's terrible. Everything sucks. You know, Twitter. You know how everyone's always mm-hmm. talking about everything's terrible? Riddle me this, though, Batman. Really, though, if you could, like, take... Kyle, if you could take your family and time travel to any other time and live there, would you do it? Hanson, I think about this a lot. Yeah. And the answer is no. <laughs> there... Primarily because anytime I think about going back in time, it, it doesn't take you too long to go back and there's not air conditioning. And I just think that would be a miserable experience for me. And I'd right. be very unhappy. I'm just, I, everyone is so nostalgic for the past, but I don't know of anybody that would prefer to live in another time than the current time. So how bad could this world really I mean, be is my point. I, I, to be fair, I don't know if it's so much nostalgia for the past as much as it is I wish things were different now. I don't think it's, it's, it's not that things were better. It's that things have gotten really bad lately. And I would like to change the trajectory a little. I it's get kind of. You know, I think, yes, but I do think everybody would say that would say, oh, this time sucks now. I think there is definitely an undercurrent of, oh, it was better in the past. It was always better in the past. But I don't think anybody would choose to live in that past. That's that's what I'm trying to argue. That's why I'm going to the future. Hansen. That's right. Whenever they be figured great. it all out or they all killed themselves and mm-hmm. all have a clean mm-hmm. earth. 
Yeah, I'm with <laughs> just, just like Horizon. One. You know, like nature will come back after you know the radiation. And then it's kind has, of like you went back so. into the past. That's right. Oh, mm-hmm. that's true. And they'll have cloned dinosaurs by then, so dinosaurs will be back just roaming around. There's no doubt about it. True. Um, let's see. Uh, Tanner Hoisington, killer question here, saying, "Hey, cohorts, what is the all-time greatest Nintendo soundtrack? Not counting Smash Brothers." This one's a thinker. Uh, I mean, it's it, it's Ocarina of Time for me, yeah. partly because the music is so integrated into the story and the plot of that game. Sure. Like you literally play music in order to progress, so those songs really get into your head. Mm. Uh, so that's my answer, but it is like it is connected to like mechanics. If you took it outside of the game and like listen to it as a soundtrack compared to listen to like a different soundtrack, I don't know if it would hold up necessarily, but yeah, I can't separate it from that. Play, playing experience. Yeah, I think Zelda's a content. I think like yeah, Wind Waker or something. I would imagine Wind Waker just for Dragon Roost Island. Yeah, yeah. Like play that in the club. <laughs> I'm getting down. Like, I'm ready for it. Uh, I was thinking like maybe like Mario Galaxy two because I think that's the one that has like the throwback mm. galaxy. So you get a little bit of Super Mario sixty four in there, and that version of that song is so freaking good. Um, but you know, I was thinking maybe we could do something for New Show Plus with this. But just recently, just the other day actually. Uh, I just listened to all of Mega Man 2's soundtrack. I know it's not Nintendo first party or whatever, but, you know, you can connect it with the NES soundtrack or NES system and stuff. But how is it possible that Mega Man 2's soundtrack is so good? I'm not even, like, deeply nostalgic for the game. Just listen to the soundtrack again. It is just impossibly good for just about every song. It's very good. It's very good. Uh, let's see. Josh Carmel writes in and says, Hello, Ben Hanson and the Fingers. That's weird. Uh, Reggie Fizeme is coming out with an autobiographical book called Disrupting the Game very soon. It's incredibly exciting to finally read about his secretive behind-the-scenes history with Nintendo. Uh, with this and a lot of ass coming to fruition recently, which storied member of the industry would you want to have a book about next? Andy McNamara doesn't count because we all should keep shouting at him to write a, a book someday. I don't think he ever will, but that would be fun. So next, specifically next? I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. Well, because like I would love to read a book by Miyamoto. I'd love to read just like, yeah. you know. But like that's not coming anytime soon, if ever. No, I, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, a lot of just kind of old-timer Japanese developers is kind of that sweet spot, right? Like Sakaguchi, if he's just really willing to talk about exactly what the entire history of Final Fantasy was like. But after you've been asked about this for 30 years, like he probably has no enthusiasm left for like, let me tell you about Final Fantasy three, everybody, you know, <laughs> um, but I'd love to see, I don't know, like a Mark Cerny, um, any like old timer at Sony, like Connie Booth, the producer, she's been producing Sony games since the mid nineties, like that level of name that you just don't think about that much, but they've just seen so much. Like a Ken Lobb who went from rare to Microsoft, like, there's so many people that have just seen so much of this freaking industry. So, yeah, everybody should read, read books. When is um, Cliffy B's book it should be coming out at some point soon, right? I know he's writing one. Yeah, I want to read that. Hey, Jeff LB writes in and says, hey, when you think of Harrison Ford, is he Han Solo or is he Indiana Jones in your mind? It's a great question. Yeah. I I wish you had you had given me more time to just... no. Because now, now he's just old in my mind. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Um. Honestly, probably more Indiana Jones. Same. Same. I, I think it's mostly just the outfit, though. Really. Yeah, more iconic outfit. When you yeah. think of him, you know, the hat and. I think you're right. I think that's. A I think more you're right. Iconic. 
Uh, Damon Vizel says, love the idea of us writing in missed joke opportunities. I've got one from about two years ago. Every time you gave Capcom a round of applause on the Game Informer show, I wanted you to say Clapcom. I'm sorry, Damon. Good job, Clapcom. Yeah, we should have said good job, Clapcom. You're right. Now, Maniac has an interesting strategy here. Maniac writes in and says, Miss Joke Opportunity, respond to anything with, that's where you're wrong, bucko, or that's where you're wrong, kiddo, or that's where you're wrong, partner, and make finger guns. I don't know if Miss Joke Opportunity is you just giving us an obnoxious <laughs> thing to do in any I think situation. That's just a catchphrase suggestion. Yeah, right. That's a different, that's, that's for the future of the podcast. Um, Andrew Ferguson writes in and says, inspired by Sarah's story about tricking her friends into Mario Kart, what are some ways you've lied or tricked your friends in video games? For instance, my cousin convinced me that Oddjob was actually the worst character to use in Goldeneye so that he could use him. The justification my cousin used was that Oddjob's size didn't make him a smaller tar- target as much as it made him the perfect size to be hit with headshots. He used a similar lie to me to get to use Jaws, saying that he would only be hit in the stomach and therefore he'd be fine. <laughs> very smart, very smart. Yeah, who's, who else has that little devilish story about playing games with their friends? Yeah, I don't know if I really have any. Sarah, you got more? Are you? Do you have a big bucket of? No, evil? I just wanted everyone else to share theirs. <laughs> oh. But I guess I I guess it's I'm the only one. No, I, this is one I was just thinking of recently because um I got out all the old rock band instruments on PS3 and had a big rock band night at my house a couple weekends ago or something. Just a delight. About uh, the most fun you can have. I just had a blast with it. Um, but we sang Stronger, of course, the classic song. I think it's in Rock Band 3. And then I was remembering this time, and I don't know what we were doing or why we were streaming Rock Band, but for some reason we were playing Rock Band and streaming it, which seems like a bad idea, and it was Brian Vore singing Kelly Clarkson's Stronger. And then whenever we'd get to the chorus, I'd because I was in the control room, I would like make it so that they would still hear the music, but everybody in the stream would just hear Brian's mic. <laughs> so it just cut out that it's Brian. It's stronger, a little taller. And, and I just love that that recording. I think somewhere it still exists on Game Forward's YouTube channel. Brian Moore just belting it out. Um, let's see. Uh, Seth Philbin, speaking of Game Informer, asks, when will Ben Reeves be on the podcast? Uh, hopefully sometime soon. We'll see. Uh, Super Status writes in and says, Hello, everybody. So, video games have always been my favorite hobby. Second favorite was going to be going to the gun range, but due to the pandemic, it has become extremely expensive and had to give that up for now. Really? It's expensive to go to the gun range? That's weird. Um, I started to look for something else to replace that with last summer. Uh, I went out and got myself an RC car. Then I got another one and another one. And now that's just about completely taken over my free time since then. Uh, so my question for you all is, have you ever picked up a hobby that has or has come close to becoming your favorite other than video games? Yeah, yeah music, I guess, is a hobby, right? Playing music. I feel like that's a common answer, though. Yeah. RC cars is more interesting. Than music? I don't know. I think music is probably more interesting culturally <laughs> than RC well, it's, cars. It's weird. It's like a little weirder, though. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And then Brian Corliss has another question. He says, hey, everybody, I've started a GBA collection, and like the rest of the old games market, it's prohibitively expensive, uh, but it brought me immense joy to boot up my near 20-year-old file on Golden Sun and complete it. So my question is, what semi to very expensive hobby do y'all let yourselves get away with? Streaming. That's expensive? expensive. 
I mean, like the lighting, the all the equipment, like needing a good PC. Yeah, but it's then, got like a really front cost. Like, I guess a good so. mic, a good thing, a good a good lights, like. But then those subs start rolling through and. Oh yeah, it absolutely covers everything. (laughs) (laughs) All the games you have to buy, like that's why Xbox Game Pass saved my life. Yeah, because like all the games you need to buy, so people can watch you play them. Like it adds up. What um? Do you have goals with streaming? Do you want to become a streaming superstar? Is that like a mission in your mind? I don't. I don't think I want to become a streaming superstar, but I sure enjoy doing it. Yeah, I don't want to become like like famous, famous. That I don't think I could handle that. Right. Would you want it to be a day job, though? Like, that'd be uh, I mean, yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. yeah would, uh, I mean, like, playing video games and talking to people will always be the, my, like, the best thing that I would ever want to do ever. So, like, yeah, that would be great if I could support myself alone with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you're very good at it, Sarah. Every time I jump in, oh, thank you. I'm just amazed. Like, wow, she's really still talking. It's, she's really it's doing amazing, a good job. right? Yeah, it is. I, I honestly think it's like, so, like slightly rotted my brain out a little bit. Yes. <laughs> to play a game and then read chat at the same time and then talk to chat while I'm like playing the game at the same time. Like, I think it has made my attention span non-existent. Like, unless I'm being like stimulated by three things at once like screen i need like three monitors up i need to be reading twitter like it's absolutely rotted my brain oh yuck there's something i don't know have you had this too where i just got so used to monologuing and streaming and monologuing now when i'm playing games with friends or playing multiplayer i feel like i'm in streaming mode and i will just yeah. talk too much then i realize like, i feel oh, that's like right. i have to entertain them yes and it's like no that's someone right. told me that they were like you talk a lot more in discord than you used to and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry for trying to keep us entertained. <laughs> right. I think it's this weird mode that you have to get back into. That's right. Most people, when they're playing multiplayer games, do not feel the compulsion to keep monologuing or else people will stop watching. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's a weird thing to train your brain to relax and stop making a series of four out of ten jokes, which is how I describe yeah. the way I stream. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, what do y'all like for a question of the week? I, time travel kind of was okay. Time travel was okay. Um, I like Andrew writing in about that Encanto and talking about music and the movies yeah, we watch. Yeah, you mentioned Encanto. That was a that was a winner. Yeah, we just been wanting to talk about Encanto. Man. All right, good movie. I think that I think that sounds like a winner to me. Unless Sarah, <laughs> speaking no, like, no, that's, that's fine. There we go, Andrew Molnar. Congratulations. Uh, I may pit will ship out a prize. Thank you so much to everybody who supports us on Patreon and submits a question each and every week. They're excellent and we appreciate them each and every one. Uh, now it's time for something that we'd like to call Get a Load of This. You did it. Kyle, you sang first, so you got to talk first. Oh, do I? Yeah, sorry. Okay. Uh, hey, Get a Load of This. This is from... Today I learned subreddit, which is, you know, a great place to learn things today. Hell yeah. Uh, where I learned that... You guys know the candy Sugar Daddy? It's like a it's just like a caramel lollipop, basically. Yeah. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's not like a hugely popular candy, but That's it's fine. like, in, I think the Tootsie Roll company makes it. But I learned that it was originally called, when it was created in 1925, the portable caramel lollipop was originally called, you guys ready for it? The Papa Sucker. Come on, Kyle, please. That's what it was called. Oh, Jesus this is on Christ. Tootsie Roll's official website. It was called the Papa name. Sucker. <laughs> Honestly, I don't want to tell them how to do their marketing, but if they brought that back and called it that again... <laughs> You'd be the main character on Twitter in a good way for a day, I think. Just lean into it. Yeah. And then, yeah, so they changed it to Sugar Daddy in 1932. So that's a good, that's just 
just shy of 10 years that there was solid, a, a store, solid. a candy on the store shelves called the uh, called the Papa Sucker. Fantastic. So, yeah, sounds great. So the term Sugar Daddy could have ended up being Papa Sucker if they hadn't <laughs> changed the name. That's horrific. <laughs> uh, hey, Jeff, what do you got, man? Uh, get a load of this. I went down a weird Vanity Fair YouTube um, rabbit hole sure. recently because they have a they have a they interview a lot of actors and have like actors talk about their you know famous roles. Yeah, and it's tough not to on click on those, those kind of things. Yeah, I've watched um, all of those. Yeah, yeah, but that led me to one. It's called Dave Batista and Kamel Nanjiani take a lie detector test, and it's it's a whole series that they've done where they'll bring in two you know actors. And they'll hook one up to a lie detector test, and then the other one will ask them a bunch of questions, and then they switch. They're very hit or miss. Um, like sometimes the actors know each other well, and they just kind of joke back and forth. And sometimes they kind of antagonistic, like you know, I got you in the hot seat now, and it's right, kind of right. dumb. But this one feels more like a first date in a weird way, and it's it feels like a weird date that's going swimmingly. Like they both just immediately are super smitten with each other. And you can tell they don't know each other a lot, but they just like everything that they're saying to one another. Uh, At like at one point, I would imagine this is like to promote their action movie, which Kyle, you remember the name of from 2019? Uh, Stuber. Wow. Hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I remember because it rhymes with Uber. That's why I remember. Smart. It was, they had, they had several Uber jokes in there um, as well, but it, it it's a really weird vibe. If you if you want if you want to see two actors that you huh. probably don't know a lot about, I think part of it is just that Dave Batista is a seems like a much more kind hearted and sensitive person than I would think from a wrestler. Um interesting. But it's it's a weird it's a weird one and it goes places. Huh. They, they really seem to like each other. So there's a link below for all this stuff. Uh hey, get a load of this. Um, the Vana guys podcast, one of, one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Uh, it was back with a recent episode. It's all about just the work of Kurt Vonnegut. Um, it's Michael Swaim and oh, I forget the other guy's name. I'm sorry. Anyways, but they referenced this video that I'd never seen. Um, and it's not Vonnegut related directly. Um, but there is a video on YouTube where it's Siskel and Ebert like off mic or they're, it's just, it's the raw recording of them. And kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Outtakes, I guess you'd call it, where they're just roasting each other. And it feels like genuine hate in their souls for the way they're speaking to each other. So if you want to see uh, those that beloved pair just annihilate each other, uh, you can check that out. Uh, Sarah, you got something? Yeah, get a load of this. Go to your Nintendo Switch, load up Pokemon Arceus, go to the Pearl Clan, Run around Irida in a circle and watch your game explode. What? Uh, there is a bug in Pokemon Legends Arceus where if you go to the Pro Clan, you'll find Irida kind of standing on an outlook. And every time you do a lap around her, one of the NPCs in the background, their clothes, like one of the polygons, just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> and if you keep doing that, like you keep running around her and it seems like every time she glances at you, things in the background like will kind of grow out of context mm. like just absolute and i got it so big it like blotted out the sun that's interesting um, and then if you if you just if you walk toward it or if you turn around it disappears but 
Fun it, bug, not a game-breaking bug. Everyone can do funny. it. Is it because the Pearl Clan worships space, and so their right, concept and of they're space? they're just filling, they're filling it? Yeah, That's I think their so. magical abilities? It could be, yeah. Or that might be the Time right. Clan. Who can who can tell? This does sound more like a feature, if I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Jeff, you got one from the community, from the Get a Load of This Discord? Yeah, get a load of this. This one was from Crowboy. Uh, it was Nintendo of America's official Valentine's Day tweet, um, which said... Uh, Hope your day is as sweet as these. Happy Valentine's Day. And then they showed a picture of these little chocolates that are shaped like Joy-Con controllers. Okay. But then also in the tweet, it's it, there's an asterisk and it says, please note that this is a fictional product and is not available for sale. So Those there's your Valentine's yeah. Day from Nintendo. Very sweet. Stuff I saw that and that really genuinely cracked me up too. That is like more than half that tweet text. Them <laughs> being like, this isn't real. We're not going to sell this to you. I know that's your first question. And Stop it's just- asking us for stuff, internet. We gave you Earthbound. Leave us alone. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's it for this podcast. Thanks everybody for watching or listening. Uh, we do have the deepest dive on Pokemon Legends Arceus up on our YouTube channel right now. You can check that out. Uh, we talked about the game for six hours and it was a glorious time. So I hope you all enjoy that. It's also, of course, in the Patreon exclusive podcast feed at that $5 tier. We'd appreciate the support. Uh, If you jump into that tier, you can also hear our Max Spoilers episode about the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, Big unpacking of that. We had a lot to say with uh, Ross, the Star Wars guy fund, and Brian Vore. He also uh, picks up his medley of uh, Kelly Clarkson songs. No, it's not true, but... uh, is, am I streaming right now? Because these sound like a series of four out of ten shows. <laughs> We're all just disgusted. By yeah, that that's fair. Also, on our YouTube channel, uh, we have an interview, which is exciting uh, for dorks like me, uh, with Chihiro Fujioka, who is the director of Tomato Adventure, the game I was very excited about. Most importantly, he's also the director of Super Mario RPG. And this is the first interview that I can find that he's ever done, first video interview he's ever done with the Western press. Um, so it's a big interview about his career, his time at Alpha Dream and the Mario Luigi series, how he really wants to make a sequel to Super Mario RPG as his final game. So if you're looking for a little bit of gaming history, you can check that out and help share it on YouTube. We'd appreciate it. Also, heads up uh, that Trivia Tower is happening on Monday, February 21st, everybody. And this is a From Software edition of Trivia Tower. So all the questions are about Soulsborne-esque games, From Software's games, except there's a couple questions that aren't related to From Software, so you can still make your way to the second floor if you really want to. And here's the thing. Uh, we have Tamar Hussein from GameSpot as the co-host. Very exciting. It should be a good time. He's a big uh, fan of Miyazaki and all this stuff. Um, but the other big thing is that this episode is going to be completely free to play. So if you've been holding off on Trivia Tower in the past because you're like, ah, $2, I don't want to support a patron at $2, uh, we're going to be sharing the link to this, and the competition is happening in MinMax's Discord. So stay tuned to MinMax's Twitter account, and then on Monday we'll be sharing the link, and you can compete in From Software Trivia for free, and you can win a ton of game codes. The last person standing was an Asteroid 40 headset, but we have game codes for Ali Ali World, for Dark Souls Remastered, for Nobody Saves the World, for Tales of Arise ton of great game codes to give away, and you just have to get one question correct to win a game code. So you're out of excuses. We'd love to have you compete and uh, tell a friend if they also enjoy From Software. Um, All right. I think that's it for this episode. Thank you to everybody uh, at the Game Champion tier, the $50 tier, the rebooted $50 tier here at MinMax over on Patreon. Um, we have people like Bob Buell, who's officially the Game Champion of Windjammers 2. Uh, the more I think about this, the more delighted I am that Drew, Drew Waranis chose Radical Dreamers to be the Game Champion of. 
and it's the perfect month for it because this is when we're actually it was announced that we're getting a new version or at the actual version of radical dreamers finally coming to switch and everything else with that chronocross remaster uh, prettygoodprinting.com chose ultima online clement zobel chose digimon world 3 you can choose any game you want and we will officially declare you the champion of that game on twitter and in the description of every minmax video by supporting us over on patreon all right thanks so much everybody sarah do you want to do the sign off this time be good have fun let's go thanks everybody hey,